Well, what do, what do you suppose these folks have in common who are uh, pictured on your screen? We have Napoleon Bonaparte and Roger Bannister, George Washington, <clears throat> Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Edison, Edison and Apostle Peter. Excuse me. <clears throat> Got these allergies happening because I've been working in the yard some past couple weeks and I get these spring allergies, so that's why I got this. What do these uh, folks have in common? Well, you might be thinking, man, they're all, they were all leaders. They all um, enacted influence, made a difference in their world, accomplished great things. But not only after they accomplished big failures, big fails, for example, Napoleon was 42nd in his class of 43, but he led the army successfully to conquer the world. Roger Bannister made it to the Olympics, and he had high aspirations, but he failed. He, he didn't place like he wanted to. He, he kept running, and then later on, he broke the four-minute mile, which was a big deal, which I've done, incidentally, uh, ever since... I got my license. I, I went two, three miles in four minutes. Or George Washington. He lost two-thirds of his battles before um, leading to victory in the Revolutionary War. Abraham Lincoln's list of failures far exceeded his successes because, but he became one of the greatest presidents ever in 1861. But between 1832 in 1858, Lincoln was defeated for seven different government positions before he became president. He lost his job during that time. He failed at another business venture at that time. He lost his first love, Anne Rutledge, when she was 22, which sent him into severe depression. Um, he had a nervous breakdown, and yet we can find Abraham Lincoln on two items of currency, two denominations, which are what? You know what they are? And he was one of the greatest presidents. Thomas Edison, he failed over 6,000 times at his attempt to make the electric light bulb. On one occasion, a young journalist came up to Edison and asked why he kept trying to make light, make light with electricity when gas lights were here to stay. Why, after so many fails, and Thomas Edison responded, I've not failed. I've just found 6,000 ways that won't work. Peter failed Jesus, didn't he? When he denied him three times and abandoned Jesus at his great, greatest time of need. Baseball players fail more times than not when they're up to bat. If you have a 300 average, that's 300 on, get on base over 1,000 attempts, then you'll make it to the Hall of Fame. And yet they strike out or, or they fly out or ground out more times than they get on. But how often do we feel because we haven't accomplished what we desire. We set out to try something and we failed. How often do we just throw in the towel? Man, and ah, oh, man, I, I'm not going to try this again. And so we sheepishly back away and, and, uh, and we quit. In fact, many people stop really living for Jesus out of 
fear of past failures or fear of a future failure, thinking, I don't measure up. And so people just retreat into their own little worlds, focus on their own needs and their own desires rather than risking anything to serve Christ. Well, these folks that were pictured, they didn't give up. They continued. They got right back up and they pushed forward. Well, the disciples thought that they had failed Jesus when, and, and frankly, that Jesus failed them when he was dying on the cross. They thought, man, all our dreams and aspirations of the past number of years for this Messiah, they've come crashing down and we failed. And so they, they hunkered down in defeat and in fear. But then the living Jesus showed up on that resurrection day we call Easter. And John chapter 20, verse 21. If you have your Bibles, we'll be spending our time in John 20, mainly John 21. Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Essentially, Jesus was telling his disciples, hey, I'm sending you out, guys. I'm giving you my power and authority to go minister in my name. As the Father sent me out, now I'm sending you. And so the disciples might have been thinking, all right, I guess we're right all along. You know, we had a couple days there where we thought we'd failed, but we're right all along. Now, Jesus, let's get to this. Let's go, go conquer those Romans. Let's overthrow them, and let's assume the throne, and we'll be your right and left-hand men here. And, and, um, and then you can reign as king of kings, king of Israel, just like in the glory days of King David. Let's get this done. Give me a V. Give me an I. Give me a C. What's a spell? Victory. Or they might have been chanting, we believe that we will win. Not only did they believe, they were winning, and they were on the winning side, and they, and they were ecstatic because of the resurrected Jesus who appeared before them. But then Jesus disappeared, and they didn't see him for some days. They were wondering, well, what do we do? We can't conquer Rome without the Messiah. Where do we go? It probably felt all over again like they were on a roller coaster. In John 21, verse 2, we read, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon told them, and they said, hey, we'll go with you. So they went out and got to the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I wonder if this is how we might feel a week after Easter. You know, last weekend we were declaring Hosanna, or we're declaring Christ is risen. Two weeks ago was Hosanna, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And we're putting on Facebook all of these um, pictures of the empty tomb, and we're declaring that we are Christ followers. But then this week, this last week, week after Easter, did life just resume back to normalcy? I guess my grass is looking a little long. Uh, I know it really doesn't need me need mowing, but I'll mow it anyway. 
So we get a lot of things done around the house because we don't know really what to do. Yes, Christ is risen, but life is just kind of routine. I wonder if when this quarantine restriction lifts, I wonder if we will continue to uh, rejoice because of the resurrected Christ or if we will resume life back to normal. You know, uh, let's get on the rat race. Let's let's get on the, the hamster wheel. Let's pursue good times. Let's pursue our hectic schedules and fill them up again. Chase our kids everywhere. So the disciples return to what they had always done, what they knew. They, didn't, they weren't bad things, but they weren't extremely significant or important either. So Peter said, hey, I'm going fishing. Hey, we got to eat. We got to provide for the family. Let's do, guys, what we do best. You want to join me? Reminds me of last week when I went to Lakeside Park and I parked where the ducks are, you know, where you feed the ducks in that section. And I had my Bible, I had my notes that I was scribbling on in preparation for this week. And uh, I noticed a young couple came up, and I believe they had, they each had a roll of full Ritz crackers, and they were just tossing them out to the ducks, and the ducks were waddling and fighting over these Ritz crackers. And it was kind of fun to see them kind of dispense them and, and care for the ones that weren't getting any, the little guys, you know. And, and so when the young couple left, then um, an, an older couple came up. They got out of their car, and I noticed they had some food to give the ducks. So the ducks returned, and they ate again. And as soon as that older couple left, this is in the span of maybe a half an hour, um, a, a single guy pulled up, and he had a whole big loaf of bread and he didn't think, he just went, just everywhere like this. And the ducks came back again. Talk about the COVID-19. These ducks certainly, because we're kind of bored, we don't know what to do. I guess we go to the park and feed the ducks. Verse 4, we're told, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? Well, no, they hadn't caught anything. Their response was simply, No. Just no. No explanation, no excuses. In their frustration, in their loss of patience, they didn't want to say anything, but no. We didn't catch anything. No. We get the impression that they're frustrated. And you know, when we don't heed the word of Jesus, when we don't listen to him, then that's what we accomplish. A whole big zero, nothing. Emptiness, frustration. We just kind of spin. Life goes on routinely. Verse 6, we're told, Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some fish. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, would this have been a familiar experience for the disciples? Well, it was. I'm not sure that they realized it at the time. But three years earlier, when Jesus was calling them to be fishers of people, he had them cast the net on the other side of the boat, and they pulled in this huge haul of fish. 
there are many similarities between these two accounts. One is found in Luke chapter 5, and then, of course, this one's in John 21. They're, they both happen, occurred on the Sea of Galilee. After fishing all night long and not catching anything, they were unsuccessful, even in their best, most experienced efforts. Jesus asked them to drop their nets on the other side of the boat, which seemed ridiculous and made no sense to them. And, of course, then the supernatural miracle of this big haul of fish. Good things happen when we listen to Jesus and when we respond to his voice. Why did God give the, the disciples this experience similar to the one three years ago? Was it not simply because he wanted to um, remind them of their initial call to ministry? Guys, I know that you've messed up. I know that you all abandoned me, and in some cases you denied me, and one betrayed me. But listen, I want to give you a second chance. Uh, I want to give you many second chances. Um, I just want you to know that I believe in you. I'm inviting you to continue to pursue your original call. Now go out. I'm sending you out. But there would have been a couple of differences between the initial call and this call. In Luke 5, when Peter uh, experienced the miracle of the fish, he fell on his knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Peter pushed Jesus away because he felt unworthy. And we can do that as well. You know, after we mess up and after we fail, we risk something and it doesn't work out, then, man, we feel unworthy and Perhaps if we even uh, mess up in a sinful way, man, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go around people like, like that because we push people away, even our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we stop going to church. We stop worshiping God. And it's like the woman who was asked, hey, you want to go to church with me? And uh, to which she responded, why would I want to go to church? I feel miserable about myself already. And then she responded, maybe if I feel better about myself, maybe if I get my act together, then I'll join you in church one day. We push people away. Uh, John 21, verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, <clears throat> It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. And Peter jumped into the water, and he ran through the water to Jesus. It would have been shallow. He wouldn't have been walking on the water. He would have been running and probably even fell on his face, got up. He wanted to be with Jesus. Why the change? Why, oh, I'm not worthy, God, go away from me, to now he runs after Jesus. I think it was because in that three-year span, Peter had changed on the inside. He realized for the first time an unconditional love that God had for him. He knew that Jesus loved him and just wanted to be with his friend, his Messiah, his Savior. And Jesus changes us too. But sometimes we need to be reminded of how much he's changed us if we're to re, uh, persevere. We need to remember. Because oftentimes we kind of get tunnel vision and the only thing we can see is the present and how far we fall short of how we want to be and we just see our imperfections and our weaknesses and our failures. 
But Jesus says, you've got to remember, I have taken you to this point. I've been faithful. I've changed you. You are much more like Jesus than you were, and you'll continue to change. Philippians 1, he says, uh, Paul says of God, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. We change most now when we experience challenges in life. As uncomfortable as they are, that's when we change the most. For example, this pandemic. You see, crisis creates clarity, and clarity leads to change. Many of us, for the first time, have used Zoom. We've learned the technological world. Um, We've learned how to get online so we can watch worship services. We've learned how to give online. We've used Zoom to keep in touch with our Christian formation classes or our small groups or our Bible studies. And we've changed. We've been forced to change, and we changed because crisis creates clarity, and clarity leads to change. I've heard many of you are keeping in touch by simply um, texting or getting on cell phone and uh, you're encouraging one another. You're reaching out to one another. Um, Jeremy encouraged us to do this a couple of weeks ago, and I know many of you are doing this. And, and one particular woman said, man, I have become so much more sensitive to the needs of my friends as I call them or they call me every day. Personally, I've also changed because I've realized how dependent I was on other things other than God to make my life happy and fulfilled. But, but that was taken away from us, you know, watching sports on TV, for example, or eating out with friends, or, you know, financial security, or being able to work, uh, go to work. You know, all these things have been taken away from us, and it's forced us out of our comfort level, but it's forced us to realize that, man, I need to depend upon you, God. I need to trust in you more. And so we're learning to trust in God more and depend upon him. But will we continue to depend upon him when this quarantine is lifted? Or will, we, will it be a repeat of 9-11, September 11th, where 2001, when people went to church for two or three weeks in a row and then life resumed back to normalcy, I will depend upon me and myself alone. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete us. God says, I'm changing you. Remember how much I've changed you, and I'll continue to be faithful to change you during this pandemic. Uh, Secondly, I think uh, in this encounter, we learn that Jesus secures us. He makes us secure in him. Another difference between Luke 5 and John 20 is this. Uh, when they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break three years earlier. But in chapter 21 of John, now three years later, the nets didn't break. And in fact, Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And Simon climbed out of the boat and he started dragging the net ashore. And it was full of large fish, 153 of them. But even with so many, it says the net was not torn Why are these details significant and included in the Gospel of John? For example, why 153 fish? What's the significance of that? Well, there were 153 because 
after they counted them, there were 154. There are 153. In fact, rumor has it that Thaddeus counted 154 and the disciples made fun of him. He said, Thaddeus, wrong, you're wrong, and that's why we don't know much about Thaddeus. I'm just kidding. Some say, though, uh, they give four possible reasons for the number 153. First, that would have been the number of the known nations during that time. Others would have said, no, that was the number of the known number of fish species there were. One of every kind jumped in the net, if you will. Still, a third uh, explanation would be from a Jewish tour guide. If you were to take a Jewish tour, get, get on his boat, um, he would tell you that if you were to take the number 153, 150, and 3, and if you were to, um, if you were to apply Hebrew uh, alphabet to it, give them the numeration somehow, it would spell out the word um, Ein Elohim, or I am God. But I think the most logical explanation of 153 fish would be this. It highlights the perseverance of the saints or how secure we are in Christ. There were 153 fish caught in the net. It wasn't rounded down to 150, it rounded up to 155. There were exactly 153 fish that were dragged ashore. None of them were lost. The net did not tear like the first time it was getting ready to because Jesus was saying, hey, if you caught 153 fish, that's how many fish you will have. Perseverance of the believers is the key truth in John's gospel, which means that when anyone comes to Christ, they will not slip through the net. They will never be lost. In fact, John 6, we're told, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. John 10, 28. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In other words, our security doesn't rest on our stellar um, performance or our righteousness. It rests in Jesus' performance on our behalf. He was sinless. He went to the cross. He rose again so that we would never be lost. We're secure in him both now and into all eternity. None of the fish were lost. So Jesus changes us. He secures us. And I think the third thing we see is that Jesus continually invites us into relationship. Jesus invites us. Jesus might have said to the disciples, although it's not recorded, yeah, guys, I know that you messed up. I know that you denied me. I know that you abandoned me. But you know what? I'm not going to abandon you. I still want you to be my friends. I still want to entrust you with my responsibility. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus came. He took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus invited his disciples to eat with him. And notice there was bread, which would have reminded them of the Last Supper, perhaps, or the feeding of the 5,000. And then there were fish, 
which would have reminded them, hey, I've called you to be fishers of men, or simply maybe because of the fact that Jesus liked fish. But Jesus invites us to come and eat with him, commune with him. In Revelation 3.20, this uh, word is spoken to the church. When Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, you know that eating in that culture um, pointed to an attitude of intimacy. If you invited someone over to your house, you were saying, I want to be a really close friend. I want deep conversation with you. <clears throat> Are we making it our priority during this pandemic to be friends with Jesus, to commune in an intimate way with Jesus? You know, Jesus has slowed us down. He's allowed us to slow down at least. And I think his desire is for us to commune with him. He invites us. But as he knocks on the door, he's not going to force his way in. He invites us and waits for us to open the door so that we can learn from him, so that we can grow closer to him and more intimate with him, so that we can learn from him during this time. Jesus invites us. And then finally, Jesus restores us. In other words, he keeps calling us back to our original purpose and calling. When we get discouraged and frustrated and fearful, Jesus keeps inviting us and calling us. No, 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 I, I still have this wonderful plan for you. After supper, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three different times. In verses 15 through 17. Why three times? To rub salt into his emotional Insecurity for de denying him three times? No, he asked him three times to reinstate him three times for the three times that he denied Jesus. Peter, I know that you've messed up more than others when you said, hey, I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. But then not many hours later, you said, I don't even know the man. I, don't ask me. I don't know the man. Away, get away from me. And so Jesus asked Simon or Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. He asked him again. And he said, if you love me, then take care of my sheep. He asked Peter a third time, yeah, you know that I love you, Jesus. Why do you keep asking me? Then feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, I, I still believe in you. I'm still entrusting my people into your care. Still. So go care for them. Jesus restored Peter to his original call and purpose. And he does the very same thing for us time and time again. Even after we stumble and fall on our face, he says, hey, you love me? All right, then go feed my sheep. Uh, go be fishers of men. He asks us to be fishers of men, evangelism, and then he asks us to disciple those who are believers, or who need, uh, new believers, old believers, disciple them, care for them, love them, pour your life into them. Do you love me? Jesus asks, and we say, certainly, we love you, Jesus. Well, then, make that phone call. Encourage your neighbor. Do you love me? Certainly, I do love you, Jesus. Then, when you go to Dylan's, stop and talk to someone while keeping your safe distance. 
talk to them, encourage them. Don't just put your head down and mind your own business. Do you love me? Yes, certainly I love you. Then feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, uh, make those phone calls. First John 4 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. You know, on Judgment Day, great throne judgment, when the sheep and goats are separated, you know, Jesus is going to ask us, hey, what did you do with the least of these? Did you feed them? Did you visit them? Did you care for them? He's not going to ask us, how quaffed were your lawns? How shiny were your cars? Were you good stewards? He's going to ask us, what did you do with those who are in need? But we don't have to respond to Jesus' call any more than we have to respond to him knocking on the door to open it. We can do our own thing. We could just take care of our own needs, our own property, um, our own families. We, we don't have to open the door to intimacy with him any more than we have to respond to his call to go feed the sheep because he's a gentleman. He never forces his way into our life. But if we do respond we will experience his wonderful grace and his mercy. My question is, how are we responding as a church during this crisis? Well, when all is said and done and we go back to life that's hopefully better, not normal, the new better, I wonder if people in McPherson County will say, I'm so grateful for Countryside Covenant Church. Man, they made a difference in my life when I was lonely, when I was afraid, when I was in need when I, of help. And I'm certain that people will be in need even after this uh, virus goes away or, or the quarantine is lifted. I'm certain that there will be many people who will be hurting. How will we respond? Do we love Jesus as a church? If so, then we collectively have to feed his sheep. We have to go be fishers of men, fishers of people. Then Jesus did something, as I conclude here in verse 18. He says, did, said something very interesting to Peter. And Peter thought, what are you talking about? He said, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, Peter, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Well, this is a discouraging word. Peter, your, your future holds something very painful. And was this for Peter's penance or something? No, this would not have been a discouraging word to Peter. This would have been music to his ears. So you're saying, Jesus, I'm going to be, remain faithful to you even in the face of persecution. I will even die for you, Jesus, like I'd promised I would earlier and I will not deny you again. I think that's our greatest fear that, that we won't face, that when we face persecution, we won't be able to hold up, you know, to our faith and, and we may deny Jesus or whatever. That's one of our greatest fears, but Jesus said, no, I'll be your strength. I'll fill you with my spirit and you will be faithful. That's what he was saying to Peter. And so Peter would have been highly encouraged. Peter, I will be your strength. You will be faithful because I will be right there with you and we'll be faithful as well. So, we're like Napoleon 
were like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Roger Bannister, Thomas Edison, and we're like Peter. We have failed Jesus time and again and will continue to fail him and fall on our faces. But we can't give up. We gotta get back up. We need to fall forward, get back up, receive God's forgiveness and mercy, and continue to pursue all that he's called us to do as we depend upon him day after day because he who began a good work in us he will be faithful to work it out in us and through us Jesus will change us he'll continue to change us he will continue to let us know that we are secure in him he will not let us slip through the net fall through the cracks we're not going to lose our salvation He's going to continue to invite us and re-invite us back into intimacy with him. And as we depend upon him, then we'll bear much fruit. He will restore us to our purpose to go feed sheep, to go take care of his lambs, to go be fishers of people. That's his promise to us. And he will not let us down. Amen. Hey, let's pray. So Jesus... I thank you that you are a faithful God, a faithful Savior, and that you've given us your faithful Holy Spirit to guide us, to empower us, to lead us, to protect us, and to grant us your peace. Oh, Lord, we want to be faithful, Lord. That's why we're listening to your word this morning. That's why we're worshiping with you this morning, because we long to be faithful to you. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, we remain secure in your promise that you will continue to lead us just as you led Peter and all those other host of guys that were mentioned. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We will follow you and we will not give up. Amen.